Good morning. How are you? Wonderful. So, uh, first, <clears throat> I'd like to say thank you again for having me. Uh, it's such a treat to be here and be trusted uh, by your leadership and your board and all of you to be able to come in and just exercise and stretch my legs and grow into what God's calling me to be and uh, putting up with me. I appreciate it. Um, I want to take this opportunity to wish the mothers Happy Mother's Day. I, I will tell you right now, um, I am literally, I mean, I give all credit to God. All credit to God. 110% uh, to God. But um, I, I also would say that th God threw my mother on my behalf is why I'm here. Uh, I, not, not because she had me, that's obvious, but... Uh, uh, I came home from Iraq and from the military, and I was an absolute train wreck. I was living for myself. I was going down a very dark hole, and the constant decades of persistent prayer without even knowing what would be in the future, she buckled down, stood in the gap, and refused to give me up. And I am here exercising the gifts that God's placed in me because of that woman. My wife, we have a one-year-old. Uh, I got about an hour of sleep last night because he's teething. I'm 42, too, you know. It's just never, never thought it'd work out this way, right? But, uh, man, my wife, the diligence, the godliness, just, uh, just the dignity of her as a mother, I have seen a side of the father's heart that I would never understand if I hadn't gotten to see her as a mother. The love of a mother. You guys are incredible. You have such a huge place in the kingdom of God. And I always say this, every time I come in here, what happens in your house matters more than what happens in the White House. What you guys are doing in your home with your families matters so much to the kingdom, to the community, to the church body, in your family. So I'm just going to do this. Do we have mothers in here? Can we stand up? We're going to honor you really quick. Let's give these mothers a round of applause for all they've done and put up with. Like they say, there's no hood like motherhood, right? <laughs> and uh, before I jump in, I've actually, I've been captivated by this idea. It's quite simple. I mean, it might not be as profound to you, but in God's wisdom, uh, at creation, he formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into the nostril of the breath of life, which is amazing. Man was created. Woman was taken from man. Woe man from man, right? And woman, by design, every single man for the history of humankind that lives or ever will live will come from a woman. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. No man, no human will ever live by way other than a woman. That's, that's a huge job. It's a huge job. It's a huge calling. But I just wanted to thank you guys. Uh, so uh, nothing <laughs> encapsulates sacrifice like motherhood. Uh, uncomfortable sacrifice is what I'm talking about today. Uh, I wanted to jump into this. I actually had something else prepared, and the Lord just kept bringing this to me like all week, the last couple weeks. I've just been hearing it and kind of pushing it off. But really, it was uh, a look into my own life and, and kind of getting to a point where I'm saved, 
I know that the spirit of the living God resides in me. I know that God is power and his providence and dominion. He, I know who God is. But I still allow myself to forget that he is in control. And I allow myself to get suckered into allowing, to be like a consumer, to allow the world to provide for me. Or trust in things that are not uh, it's not that they're not of God, but just putting a little too much hope into other things. So if you hear anything through all this, what I want to convey is that when you're in a dry place and when you are, like they just said it in worship like a hundred times, it's like they're preaching the message, but I love when God does that. When you are in a place and you do not know what is next and you do not know why it's happening and you can't understand what God is doing, just know that God is God. Amen. Right? And, and you may not need to know what's next, even though I am the type that needs to know. I am. I got to know what's next. But that doesn't, that isn't always how God works. Right? He doesn't always show you the, like she said, the verse 20. You know, you're at verse 9 right now, man. And victory's coming. But when you are in it, man, does it stink. So uh, I just want you to know that when you're in those places, remember that God is your portion. Remember that God is your provision, and what moves the hand and heart of God is uncomfortable sacrifice. Okay? So hold on to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. If you got your Bibles, if you're a flipper or a scroller, go to 1 Kings. Uh, we're going to start at uh, 1 Kings 17. I'm going to go back a little bit. I didn't give AJ these these scriptures. So I'm just going to go back uh, a a single chapter and just kind of let you know what's going on. I'm going to talk about Elijah. And I'm going to talk about how uh, he was kind of thrust into a situation and how he encounters a widow. And I just want to talk about what God's showing me in terms of uncomfortable sacrifice. So this is Ahab reigns in Israel. We're talking about uh, 1 Kings 16, excuse me, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, he took a wife as Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. 32, this is where we pick it up. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. So this is the beginning of where we're going. To get an understanding of where, what God's doing with and through Elijah, you need to understand that this is a time of moral and spiritual depravity in Israel. Israel is way off base. They've got a wicked king, as it says, uh, the most wicked king, who's done more evil than any of the evil people before him. It's funny, in kings it's like, and he was an evil king, and he was a good king, and he was an evil king. So you got all these evil kings, but here, this guy's taking the crown literally for the most evil king. He was wicked, and he put up, he, he built a temple for Baal, made it a state religion, and they worshipped Baal. And uh, what they did is they were seeking fertility in their land. 
Uh, fertility is in like they wanted commerce and money and prosperity. And they were seeking uh, idols to provide this for them, okay? And uh, Asherah was, uh, if you have the message version, uh, the description of Asherah is very colorful. I know you guys are all probably like scrolling like, what is it? What did he say? But Asherah was a uh, fertility goddess. She was a Canaanite goddess, um, like one of the Phoenician goddesses. And then uh, Baal, together, they're like boyfriend, girlfriend. And when you worship them together, they become, uh, it, it embodies fertility. So that's what they were doing. They were doubled down, sold out from the highest order of king. They were sold out to idols. And I was sitting here thinking about this, and I'm like, okay, it's easy. Uh, what undermines sacrifice in your life? Dependence not knowing what you depend on. You are less likely to sacrifice when you don't know what you're gonna get, how you're gonna get it, and what you're rooted in and depending on. Sacrifice is vital to the kingdom of God. Make no mistake about it, this entire Bible is telling us as Christians that it's vital to live a life of sacrifice. Right? Embodied all the way through and capped off with a giant Jesus Christ. The main prophet, the ultimate sacrifice, our freedom relies in sacrifice. Everything about this book is, is foreshadowing the greatest sacrifice. And, and it's amazing, like it's easy to look at this and say, oh yeah, they're all hooked on idols and all uh, doubled down on things of sin and evil and all this stuff. But like, that's a picture of the human heart. It's a picture of all of us. I hate to say it, uh, it's not, this isn't, uh, I'm not chastising you, but we're a house of idolatry. Like, not the church, but the world. We are idolaters. We idolize money, possessions, fame, power, relationships. It doesn't matter. Our hearts get pulled by the enemy to put our hope and trust in things that will not sustain us. That's just how it goes. That's how it goes. And it's a war out there for that. And this right here is a picture of a leader selling out his whole country to idols. Right? And there's this thing, uh, unauthorized noun. An idol is an unauthorized noun. It is a person, place, or thing that you look to to provide for you, to give to you, to supply you. Right? So what it is, is when you look at an unauthorized noun for provision, or you look at an authorized thing in an unauthorized way, like relationships are authorized by God, he created them in Genesis. But that could also become an idol. I hope I didn't lose you here. But an, an idol, a very definition of an idol in the Christian realm is something unauthorized that we have propped up and began to worship in our own life. And this is what was going on. Asherah and Baal were the gods and goddesses of Israel. Here we go. Elijah, chapter 17. Enter Elijah, the prophet. Facing, when, private, uh, when uh, prophets come to town, 
Uh, nobody liked it when prophets came to town. That was a bad day for everybody, man. Like, like you'd see a prophet come and he'd be like, oh, crap, what have we done, right? Like, here it goes, right? But that's exactly the context. They show up to convey the heart of God, the message of God amidst spiritual decay, moral depravity. It's time to snap everybody back in shape and remind them, sometimes forcefully, of what God intends, what God demands, what God deserves out of his people. We get Elijah here in verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite, the, the inhabitants of Gilead, he is from Tishbe. If you're from Tishbe, you're a Tishbite, right? So, <laughs> so he said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before who I stand, the word of the Lord came to him saying, oh, before I stand, there shall not be do nor rain these years except at my word. This is important. We don't see any backstory. Elijah just pops on the, pops on the scene. His word means uh, Yahweh is my God or the Lord is God. So we could rightfully assume that uh, Elijah is from a religious or faith-based family. They wouldn't have named him Yahweh is my God if they were pagans, and right? So uh, this man has a connection to faith in God, and he is a prophet serving God, and he enters the scene. His first thing is, is boom, drought. I'm going to shut you down. And what it's amazing to me in that thing is the very thing that the people of God were pursuing was fertility through their gods. And Elijah shows up and shuts him down and says, there will be no fertility. Actually, we're going to go the other way. We're going to go into barren drought, dry, dry places until you know who the Lord God of Israel really is. Okay? So Elijah shows up, shuts him down. And, and this got me thinking, like, don't be surprised if you got your heart set on something, your hope invested in something, or your hook set into something, and God shuts it down if it's unholy. If it's not the right thing for you, don't be surprised if he removes that from you. And that was just kind of a reminder that the people of God need to be aware of the heart of God. But it's easy to be swayed. So he comes in, Elijah pronounces a drought, and he says the word, uh, the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. This is pretty interesting. Uh, he <laughs> Ahab was a bad dude. He was a bad dude. Not only was he evil, but he was powerful. He was the king. So Elijah just wanders in there, says, enough of this Baal and Asherah worship. You guys have your priorities wrong. I'm shutting you down, and you are all going to suffer, and it is not going to rain until I say so. Well, when you say it's not going to happen until I say so, you better leave so that they don't make you say so right? So he gets out of there, and God tells him, I'm going to protect you, and he gets him out of town, tells him to find this brook. Now, it's kind of interesting. A brook, free-flowing water, he just pronounced a drought, okay? So God supplies him. Here he is. You can only assume whether he was compelled by the honor and glory and righteousness of a holy God to call a drought over the land, or if God told him to do it. It's unclear. It doesn't tell us, but all I know is he was obedient, he stood up for the things and the providence and the kingdom of God and did what he's supposed to do, right? And he did the hard thing. And God said, all right, man, it's going to be rough. 
Go to this brook, I will provide for you. And it says here that I will have, let's see here. You shall drink from the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. I thought this was so interesting. Uh, the ravens, right? As a Jewish man, as a Jewish person, it says in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the Mosaic law and the law given through God, through his prophets, at Moses and the prophets, ravens were very unclean. They were dirty. They were not to be touched because they were filthy scavengers. They would fly around and they would eat dead things. I'm telling you what, I wouldn't eat a thing a raven brought me. They're nasty claws and beaks digging into all this stuff, right? But he's telling them, I, he's telling Elijah, I will provide for you water and I will bring you food and through a, a raven. But here, here's a holy man of God who knows that these things are unclean. He must have been like, ravens? Like, are you kidding me? They're unclean. You're going to provide for me after I did that with ravens? Yeah. So it goes on. And it says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. That sounds like a sandwich, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. He sent him sandwiches, right? <laughs> Twice a day, too, right? And they drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up. So he pronounces a drought, he gets to the river, he's there, he's getting sandwiches twice a day, he's drinking water, right? And then the brook dries up. How many times have you been there as a Christian? Just being honest, this hits me. This hit me different when I was reading this. I was like, how many times have you put your foot out trying to do what you think the, that the, the Lord's trying to tell you to do, that you've been obedient and you followed him and the wheels fall off anyway? right? Things go dry. Spiritually, financially, relationally, professionally, name it, things go dry, right? This hit me when I was reading this. The Lord used a filthy, dirty raven to show Elijah that even the unclean, terrible things that are present in your life still submit to a holy God, and he will use them to build you up, provide for you, and take you to the next place of provision. What is meant against you will be used for you. Nothing tells God what to do. Nothing can stop God from protecting you or providing you for you or giving to you. The Lord God of Israel, our God, is our provider. And he will use anything that the enemy has purposed to destroy you for his glory and to build you up. So take that away. Hold on to the idea of the ravens and just realize that what God purposes for you cannot be used against you. The other thing is, is the brook dried up. And I sit there and I think about Elijah. Like I said, there isn't any backstory from here. I see Elijah like, oh, dude, Ahab, he's a bad dude, right? I'm going to go in there. I'm going to pronounce drought because God deserves this. Because God's holiness deserves this. And he went, and then he's eating from filthy ravens. And he's sitting there by the brook, and he watches the last little thing dribble up. And he's just like, crap, this, this crud what am I gonna do right 
This, they said it during worship. You don't always know what God's doing. You don't know what He's got planned. You don't know what's next. But sitting in front of a dry brook can feel real devastating. It can feel empty. It can feel hollow, scary. You can be so afraid of what's next. And I can't think about how many times as a Christian I fear what's next. I fear what God is going to do next. And I take away from him his power and authority in every aspect of my life by reducing him to something that I have to question, that I have to try to figure out and help him take care of me. Right? So in this, Elijah's sitting there. The river has dried up because there has been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Actually, the last thing is too, this is important. The reality of what he was doing for God caught up with him. It got real in that minute. How many times have we done that too? You're like, this is great. I love serving the Lord. Like, oh yeah, I love speaking and all that or whatever, you know. I love being on a prayer team or worship team or visiting people. You got all these things and you're plugged into what God's doing, but it gets real. It costs you something. It starts to, starts to tear, tear at your time that you like to spend or your finances or, or it gets in the way of things. Like Elijah's sitting there thinking like, this just got real. I'm in the middle of a desert, dry river. The sandwiches stopped coming. Like <laughs> I'm in trouble, right? So, so it's one thing to think about that, that like when it gets real, when you become aware of what you are doing in the kingdom of God and you realize that sometimes you're living moment to moment to moment, grace to grace to grace, provision to provision to provision. Sometimes God is amazing and he'll just dump it on you and you're set for a long time. But I'm telling you right now, I have a feeling that many of us are living just prophetic word to prophetic word, prayer to prayer, just encouragement to encouragement, whatever it takes. Sometimes... It takes so much to hold on, press on, and dig in. And that is the beginning of sacrifice. That is the beginning of the deep draw in your spirit, your soul, to sacrifice. So, verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. The important thing here is Zarephath. Zarephath, like we have the Bible belt. Zarephath was the bail belt. It was, it was like, the, it was like the, the, the capital of Baal worship. It was such an unholy place. And he's sitting there thinking like, hey, awesome, cool. Yeah, you know, like tell a king everything's going to go sideways. Your economy's going to crash hang out eating trash from ravens, and now I'm going to a terrible city where they'll probably kill me. But, verse 10, he arose and went. Sacrifice. Uncomfortable sacrifice. I know who and what I am in the kingdom of God, and I have a job to do. And it's not easy, but I believe that God is going to provide for me open doors, closed doors. He's going to appoint people to walk with me and take care of me and give me people that I can do the same to. 
He says, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. In that day, widows didn't provide for anybody. Widows were provided for. That was the culture. They even dressed different so that people would know who widows were when they walked by so that they could help them, right? So he's thinking, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Seriously, a widow? Come on, right? Like, I'm telling you, this just speaks to the heart of, of, of a servant of God. It's just like, I don't know what you're doing. This is getting weird. But it says he arose and went. And he went to the gate of the city, and indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord God lives, I don't have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. So the drought, the drought was horrible in, in the land of Israel. And what it is, is she was completely broke, had nothing as a widow, but they had nothing in the land. So people weren't even providing for her, right? And her plan was, I'm going to make a cake of bread. I'm going to sit down, have a little dinner, and then I'm going to die, right? Like her next step was, I'm done. She was at the end of her rope. And here comes this man of God. And he says, hey, I'd like your cake, please. Right? Right? So, so like, the important part of this is, is she didn't know that Elijah was going to bless her. Because this is the, the outflow of her obedience. As we go down, it goes in. She had no idea that this man of God had, was bringing something with him from God through him on her behalf. She had no idea. All she had was what she had. She had a cake, her son, and she, a plan to die. But she was obedient unto her own death in that moment. It goes on to say, I do not have bread, only a handful of... Okay, so, and Elijah said to her, oh, that we may eat it and die. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. And I love this. Elijah tells this woman who is literally looking at her own demise, who's just been asked for the only thing she has left, don't fear. And it's, that's a reminder to me, as a Christian, uh, it says in the Word of God, in Mark 4.19, that anxiety chokes the Word. Okay, when you allow the fear of your circumstances of what you're facing to overcome you, it will rob you of the knowledge you have of a living God. Amen. It'll rob you of the knowledge of the Holy Spirit who has power and authority in your life. It'll rob you of the ability to move forward in faith. Anxiety chokes the word. And the first thing he says to her, the first blessing is to her is encouragement. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many, many days. The bin of flour was not used up, 
nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke through Elijah. Elijah's obedience, the widow's faith, and a deep sacrifice opened up heaven in that moment. It moved the heart and hand of God, and he provided for the widow until rain fell. She was a testament in a place of barrenness and despair. I think it's amazing, too, uh, this actually just hit me this morning, that uh, this widow, uh, in her faithfulness, in her obedience, in her sacrifice, to give whatever she had, because it said God commanded her. We have no, no mention of the discussion of God talking to this woman, saying, a holy man of God's going to come, and you're going to give him everything you got. We don't know what he said to her, but we just know that God said, I've commanded a widow who will take care of you. All I know is that she had the marching orders from God to do something. As irrational, insane, weird, unpredictable, and scary as it was, she doubled down, trusted God, and she was provided for until the end of a drought. Right? Obedience and sacrifice move the heart and hand of God. This is important. Because the will of God will never lead you somewhere that he cannot provide for you. Okay? And in God's economy, the amount sacrificed is always more than the amount given. God wants sacrifice. He calls for us to live a life of sacrifice. Sometimes that's uncomfortable sacrifice. Sometimes it's standing in the gap, doubling down, and trusting in the verse 20, like she said, when you're only at verse 9. I have no idea how God's going to pull through. I don't know what he's going to do, or what he's purposed, or what he's ordained, but I know who he is, and I have marching orders from my God. So, the secret of this provision, which I, I think is amazing is that Elijah was challenging her to exercise her faith. I feel like the holy man of God was challenging this old widow to exercise her faith. And when she did, God met her. And uh, it made me think that when you create faith in someone else, they create faith in you. And they create faith in someone else, and they create faith in someone else. And that, to me, is the embodiment of Luke 6.38. Give, and it'll be given back to you. In God's measure, pressed down, shaken up, and running over. For the same measure that you use it, it'll be measured back to you. So this tells me that as in, in a world of uncomfortable sacrifice, that if we move in faith and not just talk in faith, that God will meet us in, in supernatural ways. And every one of us have places where we're standing before a dry brook, just sitting there like, what, are you kidding me, God? I've been praying for 25 years for this, <laughs> right? Like, like, we just don't know what's next. Like I said earlier, like my mom, Decades of praying for a kid that was running out, trashing his life, trashing his reputation, trashing everything that God put and deposited in my life that was positive. She watched me just 
forsake it all, totally, totally ignore the words spoken over me, the things planted in me. She watched me totally give up on myself. She had no idea what the Lord would do, and neither did I, neither did I. But when you speak in faith, it opens up doors. When you sacrifice and double down and pray for your lost family, pray for jobs, pray for people that are hurting, step into their life, give your time, and trust that a radical God of heaven is present and willing to get involved. When you believe in that, when you trust in that, there will be fruit. There will be a ton of fruit in a dry and arid desert land with no hope, with no future, with no vision. It's bad out there right now. I mean, it's always been bad, but it, I mean, in my life, I mean, it's pretty bad right now. <laughs> and I think that the Lord is looking for people who are willing to stand. It says that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro for those who will stand. And I think in this season right now, he's calling his church to live a life of sacrifice. Being okay, which is so hard to say. Like, I'm not, I'm not calling you out. I'm there. This is impacting me. But trusting supernatural provision is, is so hard. But we have to be the type of people who are willing to trust God through the press of life, through the velvet vice of what God's doing. The last thing that I really want to land here is that Elijah's journey, he went from like Jezreel to Sarath uh, to Zarephath. Uh, he sat by the, the brook Cherith. Uh, he made this journey. And, and what, what really lands is that this whole journey, God was making Elijah stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And the next, very next paragraph in the Word of God of where we're leaving off, Elijah revives the widow's son. The widow's son falls ill and dies. She has served God. She had done what God asked her to do. She had been faithful. She was a Gentile. She was not an Israelite, a woman of, like, uh, the, one, of the, one of God's people. And she did what God told her to do, and she suffered. And she sat there and said, I don't understand why you have come to my home and you have judged my sin and that my son has died. She was obedient and still faced a terrible, terrible thing. But in that moment, the person that God had put next to her had been growing and growing and growing and getting stronger and getting stronger and getting stronger. And through his strength through God, he revived the widow's son. He raised her son from the dead. He went on to go to Mount Carmel after this. He killed the prophets of Baal. He tore down the altars of Baal, rid the whole nation of Baal and Asherah, destroyed the temple, or the, the, destroyed the temple, destroyed the altar, killed the prophets of Baal, and then he called down fire from heaven. That's Elijah. But it took dry brook 
eating from ravens. Standing before evil men who hated him, who wanted to kill him, trusting in the provision of a widow, facing the reality of what he was in, the service to God. He pronounced the drought and he suffered from it. It was his drought. It's not always clear what we're doing, why we're doing it, or how we're doing it, but we have to trust that the hand of God is with us. You have to trust that he's leading you, that he will protect you, that he will provide for you, and that he will draw people next to you that have been going through dry brooks, dry times, and suffering food from ravens. <laughs> You're going to have to trust that God will bring people alongside of you that have been growing very, 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 very strong through what life has dealt them. And it is through their faith and their obedience and a little bit of your sacrifice that the hand of God moves, the heavens open up, and miracles happen. I want you all to know today that the Lord God of heaven loves you. He loves you so much. There is nothing that will stop him from working and moving in your life. I am a control freak. I, I love to know how things are working and how they're going to work. But I think God hides that from me because that becomes an idol in my life. It prohibits me from trusting fully, from giving fully, to letting go and letting God. I just want you to know that sacrificial living could be the greatest thing that ever happened in your life or the life of the people around you. It is also the greatest testimony to the glory and power of God. And I want you to tap into the Lord and I want you to lean in and dig in. He has insane love for you and he is your only source. You will, I am not speaking this over you, I'm just telling you, you will encounter dry brooks. You will question God but he will show himself powerful. This morning in the shower, which is really weird, the Lord told me, when you are weak, I am strong. And if there's anything you need to hear, it's that. When you are weak, he is strong. You're sitting next to a brook waiting for the next step. Trust that the Lord is with you and know that nothing will prevent him from meeting you calling for you, protecting you, or providing you. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you are literally doing this alone. And that is a very difficult place to be. There are people here that are willing to talk to you, pray with you, but I want to encourage you to step across the line of faith this morning and just finally give up and let God lead. He is the only answer to every problem you will ever have. I can't tell you that the way he does things will eliminate that feeling of fear and concern, but it may change the way you view these things. We need Jesus to live fully and be fully who and what we were created to be. So I encourage you to cross a line of faith and just tell him today, Jesus, I give you my heart. It's not the only conversation you need to have with him, but it's a start. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just thank you so much for this assembly of believers. 
Lord, we have no idea how you do things, how you purpose to do things, why you do the things you do, but we do know that you're good. And we do know that you are a loving God who has had your eyes and your gaze set on us since the day we were formed. You were involved in our formation in the womb and you will be there to meet us face to face when we enter glory. You are so invested in our life, God. I just pray that you touch the hearts and minds of the people here right now in the name of your son, in the name of Jesus, and you just tell them and start to call them and tell them that you are their only provider and that anything in our lives that prohibits us from giving, that, giving up fully into your plan. Lord, just take it away. Remove it. Remove anything that keeps us from depending solely on you. Lord, I just pray for this body, this church, in this region, that their ministry continues, that it bears much fruit, that they're just bound together very tight in unity, said in John, in the word of God, that you pray that we are together as one. Lord, I just pray that over this assembly. Lord, I pray that you speak into individual circumstances right now that are just mountains. There are people facing absolute mountains right now. And we declare in the name of Jesus that you will decimate those mountains. You will crush them into rubble and you will liberate people. You will give to them what they need, not necessarily what they want. But Lord, I just pray that your glory and your righteousness is seen through your mighty hand and your movement. Lord, we surrender to you completely. Lord, show us where we can make uncomfortable sacrifices, where we can display your glory and power. In Jesus' name, amen.